1: Alright, everybody, welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Well, we are back. Um we got a little bit of a scheduling change. I think I originally had posted that we would be doing AI this week. Uh some things have come up. Artificial intelligence itself has has gummied the waters for us. So I had to go to the bench. I had to bring in a, a substitute. Uh not a substitute in personality, but just a substitute. Substance newt? A substance newt. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, I brought my good friend, Jose. Jose, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for uh, uh,
2: having me come in to pinch hit. I guess that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. is that the term? Yeah. For the baseball performers?
1: That for the baseball in performers. the audience? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> pinch hitting, yes. Now on deck. Um, but he's, he volunteered to come on, and I can't be more happy. Because I was going to try, for the first time in doing this for almost 15 years, I was going to try a solo thing. And I was really nervous about it because that's the way my brain works. And I didn't really want to do it. And then Jose reached out to me and said, I think I can do it. And he and I gave him a film. So if there's anything great about streaming services, Will and I used to say this a long time ago, and Netflix was one, was the first one on the block, is that if if you have the same services, you can come up with a movie really quick. <laughs>
2: you Very can- quick. <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, I think I threw out like a bazillion other options. And then you were like, now nah, this one
1: <laughs> yeah yeah well the, you know the only reason why i was so forthright with it was because i was already watching it i was like it's true. when you messaged me i was already right watching it so i was like uh no we're gonna do this one um usually i do let you know what you pick. have
2: you have you have every right to have
1: anxiety over a solo <laughs> show
2: i've i i did it for one of our watch skip singulars and it was the
1: weirdest thing ever <laughs> It is. It's tough. (laughs) No
2: one to bounce off of, just but yourself.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. You start to wonder: Are you saying the same things over and over again? Are you? What are you doing? Did you already make that point? At least that's the way my brain works. So, I, you know, me too. I I was like, I'm just going to make it short. Just put something out. But then, luckily, you kind of swooped in and uh, saved the day a little bit. So, I thank you very much for being here. And swoop for those (laughs) for those who that don't know. And you really should at this point, because it's all kind of part of the same family. But Jose is half of the Watch Skip Plus podcast. I invited both of them. Unfortunately, Justin could not make it. But uh, Jose is here. And uh, folks should be checking out that podcast, too. They do new movies, which is something we don't do a lot of on this show. Uh, very rarely, as a matter of fact. So definitely check it out. They're a lot of fun. What are you guys covering this yes. week, anyway?
2: Uh, so big scoop for your, for your <laughs> show. We are covering Oppenheimer. Oh, okay. Uh, And we and we had uh, Kevin from Raiders of the Podcast on from Ah. across the pond. Yeah. Uh, So that was actually was it was really, it was deep, and it was probably a little longer than two hours. So oh, there we go. We had a lot to talk about. There you go. Even if
1: I wasn't super excited to see it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a gloomy subject, right? I mean, I'm I'm excited to see it, but. I can wait, too. So. Um, okay, so that's that's what they do. And what we do here is we cover older films. So if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, you're not going to get a lot of newer films talked about except in what we've been watching. But we do like to go back and look at things, be it one year ago or 100 years ago. And uh, that really opens up the show, obviously. But, you know, as film lovers here on the podcast, that's what we like to do. So... Let's kind of get into what we've been up to lately, what we've been watching. Um, what have you been watching lately? I know you've watched a few things. For those who don't know, Jose and I and, and The Gas from Not a Bomb, we share a text thread. So we're always constantly kind of having fun, sending pictures, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and constantly talking about films. <laughs> so I know a lot of what you have oh, yeah. been up to, but the listeners don't. So go ahead.
2: <laughs> they don't. Uh, you know, and it's, it's weird. Every, every Every time it's like, hey, what have you been watching? It's like boom blank nothing i've been watching nothing but uh, <laughs> uh so uh i'm still doing my epic rewatch of the x-files i am on uh season 6 i was able to watch like 3 episodes of that um one uh terms of endearment it was an episode where bruce campbell if chins could kill uh, was one of the guest stars he uh may or may not have been a demon who was stealing people's babies uh and then I the next episode was The Rain King. The guest was the guests were Victoria Jackson. Remember her from uh SNL. Yeah, I do. She went
0: hard,
2: she went hard right after going hard left. And um Clayton Rohner, one of my favorite 80s actors. Uh listeners may know him from The Relic and just one of the guys among many, many other things. Uh, and then I, uh, it's, I think it's called SR, uh, eight, one, nine or something like that. It's, uh, it's one that involves, uh, Skinner. Uh, so I love that show. Uh, I'm, I had attempted to go through it completely at least three times and I only ever made it to season five. So I've gotten much further than I ever have in the last couple of years. So that's, that's good.
1: Um, do you like the X-Files? I do. I do. I watched it it. I watched it as it happened up until, well, I don't know what season it was that Mulder was out. What what season was it that he left? Is that a spoiler? I don't think at this point it is.
2: (laughs) No, I think it was, I want to say it was season, well, I know season 10, they replaced them. And it was like Annabeth Gish and some other dude. And I think Mulder left the season before, so probably nine.
1: Yeah. So it, it was either season eight or nine. I made it that far. And then uh, I was going to keep watching it, but I don't know. I just fell off of it, and I never went back. Yeah. And uh, I always oh, wait. Meant some other dude was Robert Patrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh,
2: yeah, it was T two. Yeah, <laughs> that guy. I mean, yeah.
1: It seems like if you get the right cast, you could really do that show forever. In a way, as long as you could come up with creative ways to do it and stuff. But for whatever reason, I guess I had just fallen too much in love with David Duchovny and Julian Anderson as a couple or as a team. And I yeah. just, I couldn't let it go. And I think maybe, and I love Robert Patrick. I'm a huge Robert Patrick fan and I love Annabeth Gish for that matter. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just never got around to it. Maybe one day I will. Yeah. Uh,
2: although they did take them off of Hulu, um, maybe as a result of the strike. I don't know. But uh, I also watched on Netflix recently. There are two uh, se- uh, two sequels that have come on uh, called Kingdom. And this is the Japanese live action version of a very well-regarded anime, which I had no idea uh, it was an anime. Um, but that one is pretty fantastic. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of drama. There's doppelgangers. It's uh, very wire foo and sword fighting heavy. And, and it involves a strange girl in an, owl costume i don't know what that has to do with like period uh china but there you go it's based on an anime so uh but i watched the first part of that and it was it's it definitely check it out everybody check it out it's it's a it's a great engrossing kind of
1: watch yeah i saw that i saw a little thumbnail of that and then oddly i was like i don't know if i watched that or not and then you said something and i was like i'm gonna go back and add both of them so i did yeah
2: yeah it was it was a it's a good watch. Uh, it's got great action, some interesting characters. I'm actually excited for the sequel, which uh, you know it's like, hey, they made another one. You know, are you really? Sometimes you see these 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 Asian uh, sequels and trilogies or whatever, and you're just kind of like, oh, I don't know how I feel about like the second one. So, for example, I I finally saw the second part of The Witch. Uh-huh. So the first was The Witch Subversion, and then there was the second one. Second one's not as great and it kind of is a little bit of a departure from the first movie. Maybe they're going to tie them together in a third one. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh and then I took a detour and I watched I was feeling very Maggie Q because I love her and uh I watched Balls of Fury again which just had me <laughs> laughing over and over. Um when Walken shows up, man, that thing just goes goes ape shit crazy actually and it's kind of like how is he in here? And he's like, toodles everyone. I mean, he's just, that movie is such a strange anomaly.
1: Yeah. 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 I never watched it. I never saw it. I, I think at the time I was just not into comedies or something, or maybe who knows. I just never got around yeah. to it, but you know, it's interesting. You brought, well, who, you let me, let me go back to this point before I forget to bring it up, but yeah, go for you it. bring up these, you know, these modern Japanese and modern Asian kind of, Martial arts films. Have you ever noticed? And I'm sure you have, because you watch a lot of them, and I do as well. Sometimes they just feel so overly digital that they're almost hard to watch. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of American films that feel overly digital as well. But some of these uh, wusha films and stuff that they put out, man, they're so it it, it's it's brutal. It it, it's hard to kind of get into them for some reason for me sometimes. So. I just well, want to get that even
2: when they're, when they become like, uh, li- when they're based on like, say a cartoon or, or uh, an anime, um, some of the digital effects are just so off the wall and weird. It's kind of like, it's kind of like watching that weird Russian movie Guardians where like the CGI is just so wonky and bizarre.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just want to get that out there. We've talked about it a little bit in the past, but I know Troy and I have talked about it as well is sometimes that can really. Take you out of it before you even get into it. It's just so overly yeah. digital, and some of those, fantasy, especially some of those uh, Chinese fantasy films. There's yeah. a lot. Of, there's a lot. Of I, you
2: know, I was I was afraid there was going to be some some bad digital stuff with Kingdom, and there thankfully there was not. Um, the action scenes are good. There's there's not too much CGI, so it's it's uh it's good it's good good. Um, and then I tested myself um i think justin's rubbing off on me justin is the (laughs) co-host of watch skip plus he also calls himself the cinemasochist and i ended up testing myself because justin and i and and uh, randy we were talking about holmes and watson the will ferrell john john c Riley film and i remember seeing it in the theater and laughing my butt off almost to the point where randy was like you're taking the piss you're just trying to like you're trying to like uh butter me up for this film. Cause everybody thinks it's horrible. And I'm like, no, it's really funny. So I tested myself and I rewatched it. It's on, it's streaming on FXM. Uh-huh. And I will say that for like the first eight minutes, I had like my arms crossed. And then I just, it, it just, I just started giggling and laughing. And um, I know everybody hates that movie, but man, is it ever funny to me? I, I love it. It's in my cart now um on Amazon. Nice. <laughs> to, to buy for seven bucks. Yeah. And it is I mean and then I Google the reviews, man, and it's like every single one. This is the worst movie of the year. Um, there is no more excruciating theatrical experience than watching this film. And I love it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't you know, I here's the way I feel about that kind of stuff. Comedy is is such a subjective thing. You just don't know what you're gonna find funny. I, I've not watched it. It just didn't strike my interest, but I gotta say the previews I saw looked funny. So I don't know. My problem yeah, it's, with them—it's uh, so off the wall. And nuts. <laughs> those those films a lot of times are just so long. I'm just kind of stunned to how long they are. So yeah, I don't know if that totally. And
2: right. Will Ferrell was was in Barbie, and so I was. Uh, that's why we were discussing it, and I was. Uh, I I kind of wanted to like revisit and be like, am I gonna find this funny, or am I just gonna see it a second time and hate it? And I loved it. <laughs>
1: Yeah. That's also a bizarre experience whenever you go back and watch a film and uh you're like, "Why did I think this was so funny the first time I watched it?" And now yes. I think it's terrible. What is going on?
2: <laughs> Thankfully, I have not had a lot of those.
1: I don't have very many. I mean, of those it's either. it's
2: definitely happened, but yeah.
1: Yeah. Is that everything? And that's uh that's
2: yeah, that's what I watched. I don't have a
1: whole uh, I don't have a whole lot. Um been busy as always, but I got a few things um I watched uh, "Smoking Causes Coughing," so this mm. is a French film from one Quentin Dupieux, who you may have heard of. He did "Rubber," and uh, oh yeah, some other kind of transgressive, bizarre comedies. I love that this is called "Smoking Causes Cancer," uh, causing causes coughing, and the uh, French title is "Fumer Fat Tosser. It almost sounds like a. <laughs> Anyway, it's about this group of folks. Uh, they're a superhero thing. They had to fight a diabolical turtle in the beginning of the show. And uh, they're known as the tobacco force. So one of them's known as nicotine. One of them known as benzene. All the, the chemicals that cause cancer in cigarettes, that's the five. <laughs> one of them's known as ammonia, I think. Anyway. Wow. Wow. There's no words to really describe this movie, uh, except... Kind of existentialist Bizarre French comedy <laughs> With A uh, strange Reliance on gore It's mm. a really bizarre creation Like all of Quentin Depew's fo- uh, Films um, Yeah, And I, You know he's very unique I'll give him that And uh, he swings and sometimes he misses And I'll give him that This one I, I liked it It was short it was only like a, an hour and 15 minutes long it's a short film. Like uh this week's film, which I haven't even talked about what we're covering yet, but I will in a few. Um yes, <laughs> total you know, total podcasting uh, you know, brain fart. That happens. But it's he's an interesting filmmaker, I think, in that, you know, he really tries to do different things. I didn't see Deer Skin. I meant to see that. I didn't see that either. Yeah, I meant to see that one. I didn't see Mandibles. I think Randy's a big fan of Mandibles. Uh, so is was Justin. Justin
2: loved it. I yeah. yeah. Um,
1: but I did like rubber a lot when I saw it and uh, I just thought it was just such a bizarre idea of a, uh, you know, a random lone rogue tire being a killer. It's, yeah. It's just something that only works if the director completely commits to it. And he does. And, and, you know, wings hausers in that film and it's just a very bizarre creation. And this one's the same way. It's it's very it, it very much on the surface looks like Power Rangers versus, well, I mean it just looks like a Power Rangers film, but what it really is is it kind of opens like that and then it's just like a couple of vignettes and then it's over. And I can't <laughs> I can't really explain <laughs> the vignettes without kind of ruining the film, but I'll say that if you're a fan of uh gory comedies and just bizarre films in general, to so definitely check it out. It's uh it's it's a weird one. <laughs> It's, it's it's uh it's uh unique to say the least. I don't think anybody can claim if they watch this they've seen anything like it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, that's I'm looking that. at the trailer. It looks exactly like yeah. that the
2: you know, the sentai sort of genre or whatever the yeah. Power Rangers thing. It's bizarre.
1: Yeah, it's like he just took that <laughs> and they just kind of ran with it. Yeah. Um, uh, the only other thing I really watched, um, I watched something for the show. So, you know, I, 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 well, I don't want to talk about it. I won't talk about it in detail, but it'll be on a couple episodes from now. I've got artificial intelligence coming up next week and then drugstore cowboy from Gus Van Sant after that. But that was the only other thing. But other than that, I watched a documentary on Dave Stevens called Dave Stevens drawn to perfection. Now, those of you who don't know who Dave Stevens is, he's the creator of the rocketeer. And uh, kind of a big deal in certain circles and certain generations, a great artist, a very interesting guy. What I didn't know about Dave Stevens, I didn't know he was such a perfectionist. It kind of all makes sense now. This documentary is pretty fascinating in that he just completely gets obsessed with things like a foot or like a finger and has to redraw them like thousands of times before he gets it right. So this is why he didn't get a lot of work out there and why he did a lot of cover work instead of doing a lot of rocketeer work. Because um, the Rocketeer work that is out there that Dave Stevens did is limited. Um, also, his fascination with Betty Page, which um, he drew her a lot. She was actually in the Rocketeer, and he had a complete fascination with her. What I didn't know is that Dave Stevens, Dave Stevens was married to Brink Stevens at one point. Was that her name? Brink Stevens? Yeah. I think it's what she called herself, right? that She's a scream queen. Uh, that's not mm. a real, that's not a real name, but I never knew they were married. Second of all, I never knew Dave Stevens was such a playa. Like he uh, really? he was like one of the he's like one of these comic book rock stars. Like he would sleep with everybody. Um. Whoa. So and he was quite fat. He was quite in love with himself. Was from a lot, of, a lot of, everybody loved him. He was really nice, but evidently he was quite vain. And uh, mm. it's just interesting. It's just really interesting what you find out about people. But it's pretty fascinating. Listen to somebody talk about comic book art as something more than what it just is, which is just kind of pop art. Um, You know, I mean, it's it's there to kind of satisfy the masses and stuff. And it's really kind of fascinating to kind of go back and look at his work and just how clean and how beautiful it is. And, you know, he actually got to meet Betty Page, which has got to be a bizarre. Can you imagine growing up, being fascinated with Betty Page, drawing Betty Page in your comics, and then one day getting to hang out and go buy Betty Page's groceries for her because she doesn't have a car? Can you imagine yeah. that it'd be like for me, it'd be like being like Stanley Kubrick's like piss boy or something. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> yes.
2: I, I mean, I, I imagine I wouldn't even know what to say. It, it'd be like, I guess it'd be like if, if I met Maggie Q or like
1: Jackie Chan, I'd just be like,
2: yeah, like the whole time. Just, yeah. what do you not, say? Not saying anything. Yeah. Right. What do right. you say?
1: I love you. But yeah, yeah, well, yeah, like being in a room with, uh, you know, not that this is my favorite actor of all time, but Troy will freak out when I say that. But if be like being in a room with Tom Cruise, I'd be like uh, uncomfortably quiet. I'd be like, "What do I say to this guy? Do I say anything? Exactly? Maybe I shouldn't say nothing. <laughs> he might." Be I'd be saying. like, "Don't ask about Scientology.
2: Don't ask about
1: Scientology. Don't <laughs> yeah. ask about Scientology." <laughs> yeah. Am, am I allowed to say this? Have you ever seen two thousand one? Ooh, man, I shouldn't. Have opened. I, I shouldn't have opened with that one. <laughs> Uh, but it's a really good documentary. It's on uh, Amazon Plus uh, or Amazon Prime. Prime Amazon AMC Board. Plus? AMC Plus? F- <laughs> there's so many pluses and minuses. You should know. And just, yeah, it was really good. I, I recommend it. I highly recommend it, especially if you love comics. And especially, I'm talking to you, Troy, right now, if you love The Rocketeer. Um, because yeah, there's, man. There's some really good stuff in there.
2: Um, oh wait a minute speaking speaking of documentaries and comics mm-hmm. I finally checked out something called Turtle Power the definitive history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Oh yeah I've been meaning um, I haven't
1: seen this yet I've been meaning to
2: Yeah it's on it was I found it on um uh Paramount Plus actually Nice Uh because I was like I want to watch the first Ninja Turtles because uh you know um when I went to see Oppenheimer they were previewing the new Seth Rogen produced um, uh, animated uh, Ninja Turtles. I think it's called Turtle Mayhem or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I saw this documentary, and uh, it was just. It, I mean, it was fascinating. I've heard some people rag about it, and they're like, oh, "It doesn't really go into the comics. It just talks about the creators." Um, yeah, of course it's going to talk about the creators. I mean, <laughs> yeah. come on, but but it just. I found the whole thing fascinating, and I just had this goofy smile on my face because. These guys are I mean they're they're like our people, right? They they created this wacky idea about like Ninja Turtles and the two guys are basically like one half of each other, like they complement each other so well and then to hear them say like hey, six issues in, we were making like Four thousand dollar profit, and we could like quit our jobs and just do this and and form a studio. I was like, oh my god, I'm so happy for them. Yeah. And then just to hear about like the whole licensing and all of that. I mean, it's a great it's it's a great documentary. It's like an hour and thirty eight forty minutes or something like that. But yeah, definitely check that out. Turtle Power.
1: It's it's good. I need to check it out because yeah, I, I mean, I knew it was made, and I've been meaning to check it out, but just didn't get around to it. Um, So that kind of gets into, that's all I got. And that kind of gets into our subject matter for this week's show. There's always films that escape us, all of us. There's none of us that are immune to this. Jose, I know you and yourself would agree with this, that you'll see something or you'll read something. You'll be like, six years later, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's right. I wanted to see that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And it just gets by you because there's just so much. And this was one of those films Uh, So we're going to be talking about Wolves at the Door I think it's what it's called, Wolves at the Door Yes, Wolves Uh, at the Door Which was from 2016, directed by John R. Leonetti We'll talk a little bit more about him when we come back But um, yeah, I wanted to Discuss this one, uh, and there's a reason And I'll kind of explain that too when we come back From the break, so uh, We'll take a short break, and when we come back We'll discuss this little movie That we watched, we'll be back right after this Mm -hmm.
0: crazy all the world i've seen before me passing by i've got nothing to gain to lose all the world i've seen before me passing by I, I... you don't care about how i feel i don't feel the you don't care about how i feel i don't feel the you don't care about how i feel i don't feel the ready you don't care about how i feel i don't feel it
1: All right, everybody, welcome back. So this week's film, Wolves at the Door, you may wonder, well, why are you guys covering Wolves at the Door? Uh, Plot synopsis, four friends are murdered in their own home for no reason by four members of the Manson family. Um, Well, two reasons. One, it was the quickest thing I could find in a pinch. (laughs) Let's get that out of the way. Second, it's one that uh, I kind of wanted to see anyway, and I am uh, one of these, I don't know what you would call it. I'm, I'm completely fascinated, uh, like Tarantino himself and so many other people of a certain generation, with the whole lore, mythos, reality, and cultural shift of the Manson crime. Uh, it's, a, it's a seismic shift in culture, and I find it endlessly fascinating. Uh, not the murders themselves, for the record. I'm not that diabolical, but just the timing, what it did to culture at the time, and all that stuff. So I'm kind of a completist when it comes to this kind of stuff. I really enjoy kind of going out and look for this, looking into this stuff. So I'm going to give a little bit of a background because I know a little bit about this, <laughs> and so I'm going to embarrass myself a little bit, but. Uh between Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm a Manson nerd. Between the uh the dates of August tenth and or August eighth and August tenth of sixty nine in Los Angeles on Cielo Drive, a group of uh individuals, transients for lack of a better word, uh broke into Sharon Tate's home. They had broken into other homes before this, never really committed anything too crazy, but this time they had went up a notch. They had left something that they're Leader had said, you know, basically said, make an impact. And so they went in to make an impact. It's a fascinating story, especially when you consider that Terry Melcher once lived in the home that Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate shared at this time. And Terry Melcher had actually turned down Charles Manson for a record contract. So it gets into some, yeah, it gets into some basic vengeance type things. Manson would go on to say that that had nothing to do with it. The kids just picked the house at random. I don't think so. <laughs> I think they were going there hoping they would find Terry Melcher, who is, uh, I believe, Doris Day's son, I believe she he was. Mm-hmm. And the thought process was they were going to make Melcher pay for turning down Charlie, who was this kind of, um, I'm not going to say he was completely untalented, but he was kind of this very raw uh, musician who just happened to uh, find a niche in life that suited him and was a natural leader. It's a very bizarre thing, but it just is what it is and was able to kind of get these kids together and kind of become this thing. What we now know is a cult. Uh, I'm not yeah. 100% sure it was ever really a cult, but I, I guess it was because he was speaking the cult speak and making people feel more special and all that stuff and manipulating and brainwashing and all those kinds of things. And he did it with music and drugs and sex and all the things that are kind of sensual and kind of can manipulate young impressionable minds or even any kind of impressionable mind we should say so I've always found this story fascinating because it's just like you know how does something like this happen and you really can't explain it it's it's just just one of those things that it's almost like it had to happen and it gets even more fascinating when you think about the fact that that night Steve McQueen was invited to the house and a couple other people were invited to the house and they were just like you know, like any of us, they're like, oh, yeah, I don't really want to go up to Roman's house tonight, man. I think I'm going to make some excuse up. You know, because McQueen was Quincy a real. Jones, too, right? Yeah, I think so. McQueen was yeah. a real good friend of Jay Sebring's. That was his hairdresser. And uh, so Jay had invited him up, and he was going to go up because at this time, McQueen was really into drugs and partying and just kind of, you know, sex. And just, you know, it was the late 60s, early, you know, early 70s. Everybody was just kind of, you know. Free, free love. love. Yeah, free love. Free love and hanging out and and having fun. Roman Polanski wasn't there at the time. And, uh, probably that's the only thing that really saved his life, Steve McQueen's life and maybe anybody else's. Um, I think the people that were there that night were so overwhelmed by the fact that it was happening. They probably couldn't fight back anyway because they couldn't believe it was happening. So what you essentially got here is a home invasion film, uh, with maybe the most notorious home invasion of all time, um, to kind of get into this a little bit. So directed by john r leonetti now some of you guys may know leonetti he's been around a long time uh mostly a director of photography and he has shot a lot of films people have seen i would say a lot of films people have seen (laughs) a lot yeah Uh, Uh,
2: he he and his brother are separated by like 20 years which i'm kind of like (laughs)
0: <laughs> How does that happen?
2: It, I mean, it, I think it's twenty years the last time I checked, but like, you know, his brother is Matthew Leonetti, who mm-hmm. shot like Poltergeist and all these other like great films, and it's it's bizarre to think about, you know, the fact that like Leonetti's like in his sixties now, right? Mm-hmm. But his first directorial debut was Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah which is kind of like wow what a what a way to start a career yes <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> yes um so john leonetti he directs uh mortal Kombat annihilation like you said he hits the scene with that does a few other things the butterfly effect to uh afflect, effect Beneflect the butterfly Beneflect the, bu- the butterfly t- affleck <laughs> uh annabelle <laughs> uh he directed annabelle yep. which was a bit of a little bit of a hit right uh yeah. did a little bit of TV yeah. with some of the Sleepy Hollow. Did at least one episode of Sleepy Hollow. Then he did mm-hmm. Wolves at the Door, which I think it feels like it might have been a personal thing for him to do that one. And then he did uh Wish Upon the Silence and Lullaby. All of those I think are low budget horror films or thrillers. I want to say. Yeah. Uh most definitely. I haven't seen them. Most of them. So I wouldn't know. So he kind of falls in that ballpark of what you would deem Low budget, almost kind of pre Bloomhouse. It's kind of, and I I think he shot one of the Conjuring films too. So kind of in that James Wan kind of world, he's kind of all he's kind of working in there, right? He
2: is, and um, one of his frequent collaborators is is the writer of this, Gary Doberman, Doberman, which sounds like the dog breed, (laughs) but yes. so yeah, the w- the guy who wrote this is Gary Doberman and he is credited with creating the the Conjuring universe because there are the original Conjuring films but then the spin-offs Annabelle um and uh Curse of La Llorona, all of that stuff, yeah. The Nun and he has he has sort of been behind it. Doberman's been behind and written some of these things. And curiously enough, um I don't know if you caught on to this, but there is a detective that shows up in the beginning of wolves at the door um, who is featured in Annabelle. Ah. And so this sort of covertly possibly is taking place in the conjuring universe. Uh, So I, that's just, it's a weird link there. um, I I can't remember the name of the actor, but he's the Caucasian detective that shows up at Jane Kasmarak and Chris uh, Mulkey's home in the beginning. And he's, sort of talking philosophically about like evil and it's it dovetails with the fact that it's the same detective character from Annabelle. Um I love that actor by the way. Of course, surprise. Um <laughs> but it, it's just weird that they they made that strange connection. Yeah. Um Duh. to say nothing in the fact that the the posters for this say inspired by uh uh-huh. you know, but it's the actual story.
1: Yeah. So yeah for the most part I'm it continued. seems like it is yeah. <laughs> Eric Layden is yeah. the name of that actor. Detective Clarkin yeah. is the name of the yes. uh, the character. Um yeah. Uh, yeah, so this one has Katie Cassidy in it who's uh uh Hollywood royalty. Uh, that's uh she is. She's David Cassidy's uh, daughter, I believe, right? And yep. she's uh, gorgeous. Yeah, gorgeous. Pretty lady. She was on uh, she did a lot of episodes of Arrow. She was on the CW Arrow. Mm-hmm. I remember that a lot, but she's popped she up stuff in it. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Hinstridge. Is she related to Natasha Henstridge in any way? She is not. Okay. I
2: I thought so, but she uh, Miss Henstridge is um, British. Okay, and I remember her from Agents of Shield. She was the cute little hmm. nerdy girl on on Agents of Shield.
1: Yeah, but I haven't really seen her in anything else. Yeah, she's a pretty lady. Uh, Adam Campbell is in here. He's playing Volcek Frakowski. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Miles Fisher, uh, disturbingly, looks a lot like JC bring. I want to say, <laughs> really? Yeah. You know who else he looks like? Uh, who else does he look like? Tom Cruise?
2: <laughs> yes. So I don't know if you know this, but Miles Miles Fisher. There's a There's a great op ed that he wrote. Um, so the thing about okay, yes, I have a crush. I have a crush on Miles Fisher. Okay. Yeah. Um, he looks a but, lot uh, like
1: Tom Cruise. You're right. I'm looking at some pictures of him now. Wow.
2: So he is actually. Uh, I think his Instagram handle is deep Tom Cruise and he (laughs) is the, he is the deep fake Tom Cruise actor um, who acts out all these bizarre scenarios. So like Tom Cruise playing golf or like, you know, Tom Cruise eating popsicles and how does he feel (laughs) about that or whatever? And um, he he wrote this, if you Google Miles Fisher and um, Hollywood reporter, I think it's Hollywood reporter. It might be variety, but he wrote this great op-ed about how he was like, I had very minor success in Hollywood. And part of it was because everybody was like, oh God, you look so much like Tom Cruise or whatever. And finally he like says in this op-ed that he like embraced it. And that's when he connected with this guy who did like the deep fake thing on on one of his uh imitations cuz he would also go on YouTube and do impressions of Tom Cruise mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until this guy did the deep fake on him that he was like hey let's get together and start doing these weird videos or whatever and those took off and so he is he's the deep fake Tom Cruise guy he's a graduate of Harvard and um they actually picked him to do like the valedictorian graduating speech or whatever. And it was much to his disappointment that they were kind of like, and you know him because he looks like Tom Cruise. And he's he writes in this op-ed, he's like, wait, what? That's why I got to do the, the Harvard address? Not because they liked me, but because I'm the guy that looked like Tom Cruise. Uh, so it was just funny to see him crop up in this.
1: Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. he looks a lot like Jay Sebring <laughs> too. So if there was ever – so Jay Sebring in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is played by Emil Hirsch. And yeah. he looks a lot like him as well. So now I'm thinking, if they ever wanted to do a clones of Tom Cruise movie, they could maybe do uh, this actor and Emil Hirsch and Tom Cruise and a couple others, Ben Stiller, yes. and they could get away with it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. He's, I mean, he's that It'd level. I yeah. would watch that. <laughs> he's that level. He could he could be getting some clones, some uh, some Cruise B movies. Be very cool, Yeah, man. <laughs> so, some other things I want to mention. There's some other actors in here. Like you said, you did mention the great character actor Chris Mulkey. Who uh, we just uh, we just talked about him on uh, at close range. He played the stepdad on that. He always pops yeah. up in little roles and stuff, but he's always very impactful. He's really good in this. There are moments. I'll talk about the movie here in a minute, but obviously, I'm going to let you lead on it if you want to. Um, anyway, I won't talk about that. Let me let me just talk about a couple other things. Mark Kermode, famous critic, called this film nasty, duplicitous, morally bankrupt, and dramatically inept. I know where Mark Commodus yeah, I, I know where he's coming from with that. I think because this film is nothing more and I'm just gonna say this, it's not a it's not a spoiler, I don't think. This film is uh, an hour and twelve minutes long. It's super short, maybe an hour, maybe an hour long with credits and everything else, roughly. And it really is just a reimagining of that particular night and those particular scenarios. There's hardly anything else in the movie. There's a little bit of character development and some conversations here and there between uh, the two leads, the two female leads. But really, there isn't a whole lot here. This is really, in a lot of ways, I think, watching this, and I don't know if you got this vibe, but I got a really strong... I don't remember when The Strangers came out. Did it come out before this? I'm assuming it did. um Um, no
2: i think it actually yeah i think strangers came out before this and that that itself is kind of based on loosely based on the manson murders right
1: yeah in some ways and 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 for the record more well made i mean the strangers is 2008 do you feel old oh my god i feel (laughs) super old that was when scott speedman actually was
2: kind of never mind i won't finish that sentence but this
1: this film came that film came out (laughs) eight years before this wow i would have never guessed that. That's crazy. Oof. I know. <laughs> oof. That's an oof moment right there. It um, is an oof moment. <laughs> it really is. Um, but really, this film is just a riff on that night. And it says inspired by, I don't know how accurate it is. It, As far as I know, it's not 100% accurate. And everything is kind of played for reasons, which we'll kind of talk about here as we talk about the film. So I'm going to turn it over to you and see what you thought. I know neither one of us had seen this. So uh, even though I knew the background story, uh, the film again, like Tarantino in a way, it's kind of playing with reality of what actually happened that night. In some ways, except the uh, the end result is the same here as opposed to the Tarantino film, which is more of a fantasy type thing. Um, what'd you think on this watch?
2: Um, you know, it's w- it, 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 it. Well, like I said, I was just flummoxed by the fact that it says, you know, uh the posters say inspired by the Manson Murders. It opens with based on a true story. It is essentially the same characters, all of that. And then even at the end, it tells you, you know, it gives you all the like real people's pictures and what happened and and who went to jail and you know, all that stuff or whatever. Um, so I, I was a little confused. I thought that that it was going to be something along the lines of uh, Tarantino's fictionalization of that. Um, looking back now on, I, I wasn't okay. Kill me. I wasn't a huge fan of Once Upon a Time in
1: Hollywood. I'm not a. Um, it's not my favorite Tarantino either. I like it, but it's not my favorite. Yeah.
2: Um, and and I have to tell you that I think that that last portion where they do he does essentially what he did in Inglorious in Bastards and he sort of rewrites history with this particular night. That didn't really sit well with me, even if I thought it was kind of, you know, uh, edgy and um, maybe even a little funny the way that they had done it. But I I just felt like it maybe did a disservice to the people that died in the actual yeah, incident, it, you
1: know? It's a weird moment. Uh, like, it, for whatever reason, he did it well in Inglorious Bastards. But for whatever reason, it did leave a weird taste in my mouth at the end of once upon it, it's, it's almost spoof like. Yeah. It's so bizarre. Yeah. And at it the is. time the me too movement was really strong and there's all this violence against women in that sequence. And I was really stunned. Nobody said anything.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. Um, to say nothing of the fact that, you know, there's a Netflix show about Dahmer and then like all of a sudden the victims are like, we hate this and say, yeah. you know, all that. Um, but watching it, I, I just was sort of struck by how, um, uh, Justin just used this word during our Oppenheimer thing, um, how rote it kind of was. It was just like, um, it, I wouldn't say paint by numbers, but it just felt very mechanical, right? Mm, mm. There are there are filmic tropes and even jump scares that they use in this. Um, some of it is kind of, horrifying and brutal um uh i do not like sledgehammers being used in this manner um pretty i'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty and, sure
1: and, in reality i don't think any sledgehammers were used that i'm aware of i didn't think so either maybe that's why it's
2: loosely based um yeah. but um <laughs> but yeah the, the the violence is there and it's 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 freakish and 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 it's scary but i have to question like who was this made for yeah um, other than the one off of the detective from Annabelle being in this also, um, my question was, why would you do that? Why would you try to connect a histori- a horrible, evil historical event to the conjuring? But then again, when I thought about that move, I guess it makes sense because the conjuring's really, you know, those stories about the the uh, the Warrens. You know, they're very much, it's very arch. It's very, there is evil out there. It's not that it may not be the devil to some people, It's you know, other things it's. So I think that they were going that route of here's something that happened, you know, in 69, right. Changing into the decade, changed the culture, as you said. Um, but they don't really put any real feeling into that other than to show us the, the horror of, of all of this. And in a way it, it, it made me think of like Wes Craven movies, but not like in a good way mm. because uh, with Wes Craven, Craven films, and I'm thinking of like, you know, uh, people under the stairs, and I'm thinking of like Red Eye, but he seems to do this thing where there's one location and the people run away from it, but then they run into it and then they run through the location and then they're out again and then they're back into it. So I kind of I felt that way with this too. Um, and then- they did something really strange with the writing, which I think if they had bolstered it maybe a little bit more, it might have been more impactful. Um, but to spoil it, they they die, folks. Um, <laughs> but to spoil it, uh, the, the woman says something like, you don't have to do this as she's dying at the end, Elizabeth Hentridge. And she says something along the lines of like, you don't have to do this because I'm already dead. And I think... Part of that was she, her character was transitioning and moving away from her friends and this kind of thing. Um, and I, I don't know. I It was weird that I think there was supposed to be some emotional import to her saying, I'm already dead. But yeah. they didn't build it up with anything. And it just sort of was like, and then it ended.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. So- <laughs> I, I'm not sure what they were going for there. I, yeah, it was I, very don't know. Strange.
2: I mean, maybe because her husband had died and then, you know, cause they were going to move away. They were going to have a family they were going to get married, uh, Mr. Uh, Wolgick. And then he died. And, and I guess she sort of was like, well, if, even if I survive tonight, I don't want to live cause he's dead. Maybe that's why she says that line, but like that was not developed at
1: all. <laughs> no, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, for lack of a better word, it's a miss. I, I think There's probably something they're going for there, but I have no idea what it's supposed to mean.
2: (laughs) Yes. And then technically, I don't, I'm trying to look up the information now, whatever freaking high def capture film uh, camera they were using in the low lights, I was getting that like blur and stuff and it was really pissing me off. (laughs) I'm like, okay, Leonetti. You're a DP. <laughs> how in the world can you use a shitty digital camera, yeah, with with that kind of blur and screw up your movie? So yes, I <laughs> and agree. it also had that weird soap opera like sharp look to it, uh-huh. where it, it took me out of it. Like, I mean, how many times have we seen a director um, use the same stock from the '70s, or at least post production it to make it look like it's a scratchy film from the '70s? But when it's so sharp, it kind of it looks so modern. You can't—I mean, you know—you just can't put yourself in that atmosphere. I guess it's another strike against the film in some mm-hmm, ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm yakking, but no, yeah, no, nonetheless, no, no. it was not entirely successful.
1: No, <laughs> this I, film—I I totally agree with you. I think, I think what this film does well, because I think it does a few things well. I think that Leonetti knows how to set up a sense of dread. I think there's good setup for some of the moments here. Um, I like the way the house is very maze. Like I yeah. never really, I never really could get comfortable with the geography of the house. Every time I thought I knew where things were, they looked down a hallway and somebody would walk across, I crossed, but I could walk across <laughs> and, uh, yes. And I would be like, oh, okay, so that's on the other side. And then when they go to the other side, they're looking back down the other way. That should be the kitchen. I'm like, oh, that's not the kitchen. What is that? So I like that with the kind of 70s, late 60s, early 70s kind of blinds in the kitchen and, and some of those things that just kind of remind me of my youth. But So I like some of the set design, and I liked the, the use of Dread. There's a really cool moment where they're sitting there listening to the headphones and listening to uh, Crimson and Clover. And somebody's knocking on the window and they can't hear it, but we can see it. That's well done. I like that quite a bit. They come back to it again later when he's listening to I can't remember what he's listening to the next time, but I know he listens to Crimson Clover and Little Red Riding Hood and some other song. I can't remember what the other song is off the top of my head, but I like those moments because that gentleman that was in the guest house, he actually did survive that night. Can you imagine going through the rest of your life knowing that you lived on the property Where four people were murdered and they never got to you. Can you imagine going through and that you
2: were stoned out of your fucking mind with uh, (laughs) listening to records the whole goddamn night? And people were being slaughtered. I would. I don't know how I would feel about myself, quite honestly. But but yeah, they set that up almost perfectly so that when you do get that that thing at the end, like Jesus, lucky guy to be stoned and not listening to anything. Yeah, I don't know how you know? know.
1: Yeah, just what a you know. It's just pure luck. I mean, there's no other way to yeah. describe it. They just, for whatever reason, they just couldn't get to him somehow, some way. It seems like they were destined or driven to get to the other characters, but they weren't so much driven to get to him, but they keep coming back and revisiting him. So I'm always like, even thinking about it in reality, I think this is a bit of a, a heightened version of what actually happened. But, yeah, and I don't know if they actually ever came back to see if he was there or not, or to try to get him or not. but it makes for kind of a great what if moment within the film. So almost everything else I agree with you with. So the film is, is morbid and it's sensibilities, not something that really kind of turns me off as I kind of like transgressive morbid stuff. So that's not really a big deal, but there's no real, there's no real kind of, I don't know. I, I, I don't agree with Kermode and that, he's basically saying the film has no value. I don't know if it doesn't have any value, but it certainly has low value. Um, as an exercise in suspense, I think it works in, in spots, but as a narrative, even though I think there's a narrative story here, I think it struggles. And I think with a better writer and a better director, that's no offense to the Doberman and the Leonetti, but, I yeah. think if they could have maybe had a secondary plot with the cop or a secondary plot with anything, they could have maybe fleshed this out more. And maybe all these small moments are impactful. When, we, when we're talking about this film, folks, we're literally talking. I mean, this is a film that it starts with a home invasion. And, and, and I wanted to say, I talked about this. This is the Chris Mulkey, Jane Kassmerick, uh part. That is done very well. That is very well done. That opening is very solid. It's not over the top. It's very spooky without being too crazy. I think it's very well done. Mulkey's really good there. And so is Kazimerick and showing the fear on their face. And it's very well done because they give you the old, uh, you know, kind of red herring thing. You think maybe they have been killed, but of course they hadn't been. And they kind of show them. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's it's very, it's very well done. Like five, 10 minutes. Uh, Very well done. And so you think to yourself, okay, he's setting us up and that's what the rest of this film's going to be. And that's exactly what it's going to be. The problem is he's dragging it out. I do like the idea to not visualize the killers. They're kind of always out of focus. You, if you know any of the history of the murders, you know who they are, but you're not real clear on who's who and who's what you can't even tell if there's a male or a female. Sometimes it's it's just kind of, everybody's kind of out of focus and stuff. And there's a lot of good like haunted house type moments that are kind of set up. Oh yeah. Yeah. But the problem is, is that you never even I think uh, Cassidy, I think Katie Cassidy, I think she's trying her hardest here to kind of give this, I mean, I mean, it's a lot, she's doing a lot. And I think that uh, Elizabeth Hintrich is doing a lot too. They're really acting. They're really, they're really going for it. There's a lot of emotion, a lot of screaming, a lot of high, you know, emotion feelings going on. But for whatever reason, I couldn't really identify enough with the fear of these characters being invaded. And I don't I don't know I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because of the the murders themselves and because I know so much about them, or is it just the approach that Leonetti and Doberman took or what it is. But this is something that I feel like should have worked a lot better than it did and i wonder in some weird way in some weird part of my brain i wonder that if this was a silent film if it would have worked <laughs> like nobody's talking that's
2: actually that's that's kind of an that's that's an interesting take i you know it actually it might it might have more impact as a silent film um but i have to i have to say that as uh i know of the Manson murders and I, you know, and I have uh, like a passing knowledge of what happened with Sharon Tate and all of that. Um, I I don't know it as well as you do, obviously. Uh But when I watched this, I was sort of like, okay, well if I'd never known anything about that, would this still be compelling? Would it still be scary? Um, And you know, it almost, I hate to say it almost feels like slasher like because we don't get a lot of character development for any of them
0: mm-hmm.
2: um uh, you know we only learn that the K- uh, the katie cassidy character character we only learn that she is in the movies and stuff because the guy who comes to visit the stoner is like you know oh she's in movies she's some big wig that's why i'm staying in her guest house or this and that or whatever um but other than them talking at that table in the beginning and then having like this party or this get together, there's no other exposition. And so, um, you know, I think it was a detriment to this screenplay that they don't develop anyone on either side. And yeah. it really just is kind of like watching a slaughterhouse session. <laughs> you
1: know? it is, Yeah, it is. And you know, the, the, the problem is I think, you know, sometimes that works and I, you know, I'm, I review movies as an amateur here and I've been doing it for a long time. I can't tell you point blank why sometimes this kind of filmmaking works and why sometimes it don't, why some slashers you're incredibly entertained and why some you're not, but there's just a level of, and I, for the record, I I don't, I don't hate this movie. I think it's a little bit above average at best, but it is a cruel movie. And That's what I find interesting. I find, because in in theory, shouldn't all slashers be cruel? Yes. Because essentially they're just meat market movies. They're just movies for murder. And we go to them to see the kills. We go to them to kind of revolve around the mythos and kind of hang in that atmosphere and see these kills and totally be safe in our environments and see people get uh, chopped up and all this kind of stuff. But for whatever reason, when it's intimate like this, and this movie, it's a lot of stabbing. Whenever it's really intimate like that, it it's just a bit more stomach churning somehow. There is a kill in this movie that's in the reflection of a TV or a window. Yeah, that just keeps that going. Was tough. Yeah, it just keeps going on and on. And I was like, I know from knowing about the case that J.C. Bring was stabbed a lot. Yeah. But they make sure to let you know Jay Sebring was stabbed a lot here, and it's it's just it's almost too much. It almost takes you out of the movie. It, it, it almost like it it takes your imagination away, and it becomes this exercise in cruelty. And I don't know if that was the right approach. I feel like you know they could have taken almost a more I don't know a more just kind of esoteric or atmospheric approach, kind of like he was doing with the suspense elements of the film. And I think he could have been just fine and just showing the after effects. Well,
2: I think, I think, you know, I, I think you're right about that. But what's weird is, yeah, he, they pull back on some of the violence. And I think that more blood and more in your faceness would have worked here. And I think it might've made the material stronger because you know, when they when they find Sebring on the couch, I mean, it literally looks like she just bust a like a, a ketchup packet on her hand. Yeah. And we know from this prior thing that he's like mince meat, basically. Yeah. And it's yeah. kind of like they're just like, ah, you know, and I think that it would work worked for this visceral like craziness, you know? I mean, it's like, uh you, you know, sometimes sometimes I'll watch Last House on the left and I'll be like how can anybody really see this as art? And yet I can see it as art. And there's an emotion, there's a raw emotion to last house on the left. And then you look at something like the, the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is almost like this. It's you're waiting for the pretty people to get butchered and it's, it's very well shot and it's gory and there are thrills and somehow one is maybe more artful or leveled up, than the other right Mm -hmm. and so with 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 this i think they were restrained when they shouldn't have been and then they were um you know gory when they should have been restrained and so i think it just they just weren't on the right page with this yeah uh, to make it more
1: impactful it's it's strange that that's i mean that's what i came away from i came away from it thinking well why does this work sometimes and sometimes this doesn't work because that this is an example of it not working. And I I don't know if again, I don't know and I'm guessing it's not because of that because I know so much about the original case. It's not that because you don't know as much. So that's not the element. It's just the the way they decided to go about it. It has to be that. That yeah. has to be the reason it is what it is. And it's I don't know. I don't know for lack of a a better word, it just it at the end of the film, I just thought Well, that's an, it feels like a student film. Like it feels like an exercise in ideas and not a cohesive story. Which is curious coming from Leonetti,
2: Mm -hmm. right? And his background. But then it's, it's, it's strange. Like if you look at the films that Leonetti has directed, they are low budget horror, but it's almost as if, he's just painting by numbers and not trying to become a director in his own right with his own vision i mean you know when you look at some of the films that he has directed and they all kind of look the same mm-hmm. and they all follow a formula and uh you know it's just i i don't know what's in this guy's head you know <laughs> because sometimes i i know that sounds really funny but like i i i mean why does he why does he direct you know, things like Annabelle and Wish Upon, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't – and then The Silence, which actually wasn't half bad. That was a Netflix movie. But there's no – he doesn't have his own identity. We've talked about this before. Directors that, that you know, you, you and I may think um, they don't have a style of their own. We got into an argument over a director recently about that.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, Who yeah. Who was
2: it? I can't remember. And I was – Judging from Uh, the level of comments that I had giving back to you, I was like, no, he has his own
1: style. uh, James Mangold and Ron Howard. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
2: That's right. I was like, Mangold's fantastic. I love him. He can do no wrong. And then you were kind of like, he doesn't really have a style. I'm like, yes, he does. (laughs) But uh, yeah. But it seems like Leonetti just is this just, hey, let's give it to John. He'll pump it out. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally know what you That's
2: mean. That's how I feel.
1: <laughs> and I, I feel like that is exactly what this film is. It It feels like a weird, I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe it's something that he always wanted to do. Maybe mm. he was also born in 56, so maybe this is a story he always wanted to tell. And maybe he couldn't tell the whole story. So maybe he's decided yeah. to tell the Night of the Murders. And, uh, you know, he took this approach, the horror movie approach. I mean, I would imagine this film didn't cost much. Um, I, I don't, I know it didn't get a lot of buzz. I got enough buzz that I knew about it. Um, reading about it in the trades and whatnot, but I'm trying to look around yeah. and see if I can see where the budget is and anything else, but I'm not seeing anything. But I'd be amazed if it cost more than $20 million to make this movie. Um, but maybe it did. Uh, again, this is twenty sixteen dollars, so who knows? Yeah, but it <laughs> exactly. it, it uh, I don't know. It just it it just for some strange reason it feels empty, like so many of those. Um, for me anyway, so many of those kind of nineties and two thousand, early two thousand, mid two thousand horror films. Some of them work. I like the first Insidious. Um, I like uh uh. I don't know if I, you know what I've never seen a Conjuring film. Uh, what? yeah, I know another one of those ones. That's not even
2: game. the one that was day and date on HBO. The the third one.
1: No, I didn't see that one either. Believe it or not. Wow. <laughs> I may, maybe I've seen the first one. Maybe I've seen the first one. I should rephrase that. Lily Taylor. Yeah. But I've seen, you know, I've seen stuff and I like yeah. these films. I like Insidious a lot. The first one, especially, I think it's very well done. It's a great example yeah. of an exercise in dread. It really is, and uh, very well done that way. And what's the one? What's the one with Ethan Hawke? The Black Phone? No, not the Black Phone. That one had some good moments, but it wasn't. It was overall the Purge. No, not the. I like the Purge. I like the. I think Dave the Dave What uh, wasn't there another one that that has like a one word title that he was in? Uh, mm, I don't know. Why am I drawing? a What black? was that about? Uh, he's like a. He finds like a videotape or something uh it's almost like ring like i'm looking Hmm. i'm looking what's going to happen here is i'm going to say the title and you're gonna be like oh my god and i'm i'm going to be the same way because i should know this title uh hang on i'm looking through i'm looking i'm looking sinister sinister there it is sinister (laughs) scott
2: derrickson yes
1: yes sinister there you go so that one that one i think is also very well done The first one. I don't know about Sinister 2. I never saw it. But I saw Uh, it. awful. (laughs) So I saw the first Sinister. I never saw part 2. But the idea of Sinister works, and the dread it sets up works. And sometimes, you know, there's been, you know, these filmmakers can come along and they can do this. And I think Leonetti, again, I think he does a really good job here uh, setting up some things. I just don't think he can come through with what he kind of sets up. It's like, you know, You know, for lack of a better word, he's all foreplay and no payoff. And yes, and no money shot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, literally. I mean, there's well, no, 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 we
2: got money shots, but there's no, there's no feeling behind it, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, they just seem, they just seem like overly cruel. And nothing really, you know, you just, it really is what some people kind of knock slashers for is the kind of paint by numbers kind of mess that they can be. This feels the most like that of any yeah of any of these type of films in a way it just feels like you know he's just kind of going through okay well I got to kill Wojciech and I got to find a way to get him outside and I got to have a way to do this and I got to have a way to do that and I just I don't know I, you know I think again there was a lot more to be said here about the era which I think Tarantino does a really good job and if he does a good job about anything in once upon a time in Hollywood to me it's he's kind of showing Hollywood in that era right before this kind of stuff goes down and how there's this kind of darkness underneath this innocence that's on the exterior of Hollywood. And, yeah. um, you know, he, it, it's, it's coming to a boil and, uh, you know, and then he does the Tarantino thing at the end of it. And I think that that's interesting. Uh, it doesn't work for me, but I do think it's interesting what he does with that. Um, but here there's really no, I, I, I guess like for, for, lack of a better word, not to sound kind of up my own ass here, but there's no real thesis to the peace. There isn't. It's just like there isn't this is what it happened feels that like night. It's like violence for violence sake. It does. And what's
2: weird is is there should be the fact that it is historical and it actually happened, there should be more feeling behind this. And yet there just isn't. Yeah. It's very
1: strange. I agree. It's totally strange. And I that I came away from it. I was watching it when you text me and we set up this call and everything. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and finish this. And I had like 30 minutes left, and I was pretty into it, you know. I mean, it's only about an hour, so I'm halfway through it, and I'm like, oh, he's doing a real good job setting this stuff up. But the next 30 minutes or so, it's like, like I just said, it's all, it's all foreplay, no, no, no payoff, and it just, I don't know, it just kept falling flatter and flatter. With some, as somebody who admires violence on screen, as weird as that is to say out loud, but let's be honest, that's you know, that's the kind of movie fan I can be sometimes. It just, there's some good kills I and there's agree. some good moments, but it just, I don't know, for whatever reason, it just, I'm not going to go full commode here and say that it's a, a slight against uh, humanity or a, <laughs> or anything like that. Cause I think anything can be art. I really do. But for some strange reason, I think this one just kind of misses the notes that they're going for and they decide to take the slasher approach and it just comes off as an empty slasher. As opposed to a slasher with any kind of punctuality or any kind of humor or any kind of depth of any kind, Uh, it's really hard to explain. So I think we pretty much felt the same way. I'll be curious what you end up scoring this, though, because I did. And I think it's mostly because uh, I've lived in that case in my head. I read Helter Skelter when I was way too young, and I kind of was in that world a lot when I was a kid. So it's always kind of been a fascination of mine. And uh, I read a book recently or uh, listened to an audio book recently that um, about a gentleman who wrote a book about Charles Manson and how they believe it was all government funded. The whole thing was government funded. It is an insane read. I'm not kidding you. Wait, you're not talking
2: about um, Tom O'Neill's. Yes, um,
1: yes, I am. I am. Chaos,
2: Charlie Manson, the CIA and the secret history of the 60s. I actually want to read that. So you didn't read it. Uh, it
1: Yes, it is. An amazing book. You have to wow. read it. <laughs> your okay, mind, Okay. Yeah, some of the theories in that book, whether they're true or not, I don't know. But your mind is going to be like exploding multiple times. You're going to be like, what?
2: <laughs> yeah. That's what some of the reviews said. They were like, they were like, I don't often give into conspiracy <laughs> theories, but I really love the theories being thrown around here or whatever. And so I was juggling. I'm like, okay, do I read *Helter Skelter* first? Yeah. Or do I read this?
1: Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's mind blowing, dude. I'm not kidding. I'm not okay. kidding you. It's one of the most mind blowing books I've ever read. And you know, yeah. I, I've read some mind blowing stuff. It, it's up there. I just like I couldn't believe every time I thought I knew where it was going, it took a like a hard right, and I was like, whoa. And then it would take a hard left, and I was like, "Whoa, that! Uh, well, where'd that come from?" But it's okay, it's, yeah. It's, it's going in the cart. It's going yeah. in the cart. Oh yeah, it's 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 infinitely <laughs> fascinating. It's, it's the kind of book I could see myself revisiting over and over and over again because it's just there's it's so deep, and so much research was done. And I know uh, Tarantino himself's a big fan of that book as well. Whether no, any of really. it's true or not, I have no idea. I'm not going to go into any of the – I'm not even going to go into the basic ideas of it right now. You heard the basic ideas of it when my little kind of synopsis and then Jose's reading of the title. But it's so much more than that. <laughs> so Wow. It's so much more than that. It's it's pretty crazy. Um, I it, mean, I, I definitely want to read Helter
2: Skelter. I mean, you know, Bugliosi – apparently it's like it's the thing. I
1: mean, he was the prosecutor, right? Yeah, so
2: yeah. Um, you know, it's almost like peering into the case file,
1: but you yeah. you, you may have, I'm not going to say anything. I, I would say, yeah, you know what? You should probably read Helter Skelter first, then read the Tom O'Neill because okay. Tom O'Neill spends a good deal of time commenting on the Bugliosi book. Yeah. So okay. I think that'll wrap that'll round that out for you. And both of them are super entertaining to read. So you're not going to have any trouble. Trust me. You're going to be so, like, I can't put this down. I have to go to work. <laughs> yes. Um
2: so here's a question for you. Um and I'm sure you know uh if there's somebody like me who did not like this, did not like Tarantino's treatment of it, is there a film that you think nails the the Manson murders or even Manson himself or mm. or or the the Tate sort of like controversy whatever is there a movie out there that does nail that?
1: You know, I should have been ready for that question. Um, let me think. Uh, there's a lot of songs. Um, you can n- always edit. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of songs. You know, the film that always comes to mind the most for me, mm-hmm. and I think it's the best version of this story, uh, and it's kind of hard to get a hold of now. Um, mm. and I don't know why. I think it's because, uh, Jim Van Beber owns the film himself. Got it. So Jim Van Beber, who you may know, uh, deadbeat at dawn, very popular kind of, uh, uh, underground, uh, do it yourself, uh, film. Uh, he, right. he, he worked for many years on a film called the Manson family. And he just he worked on it for a long time. It finally got released in '97. I don't know if it's impossible to come by, but I, it might be a, it might be hard to come by as far as streaming. It looks like it's on Fandor on the Prime Video channels. Oh, but, okay, uh, it's out there now. I watched that film about five years ago, six years ago. I gotta say, yeah. of all the movies I've seen about the Manson family, that one probably gets the closest, and it's it's pretty well done. And that's the one that I always recommend to people and recommend checking out. And if you like nudity, there's a lot of male and female nudity. So you got that going for you, too. So this says, um, I'm reading um, uh,
2: Screen Rants article, Nine Most Chilling Movies and TV Shows About Charles Manson. They mention that, and it says this unique film is made up of eight home movies that are a cross between documentary and retelling. Yeah. Interesting.
1: It's it's a it's praised
2: a, for its creativity.
1: Yeah, it's a it's an art film, no doubt. Mm-hmm. It's it's half documentary, half reality. Jim Van Beber pops into the movie, and then sometimes he acts in the movie. It, it's it's a bizarre experience, but I, I got to tell ya, uh, you, you got to check it out. And it's also one of those ones, notoriously that I always bring this up about the uh, Paul Verhoeven uh, co-ed shower scene where him and the DP got naked so everybody else would feel comfortable. Jim Van Beber, yeah. whenever he would do. Uh, nude scenes in this movie would also direct the film naked. So nobody would say, Hey, I don't want to be naked. And he's like, Hey, I'm naked. Evidently. I'm
2: all for that. I am. (laughs) I'm ready to join a Hollywood project where I'm naked and everybody else is naked. I'm I'm ready.
1: Um, Yeah. He's a, uh, it's a really good film. I I highly recommend people check it out. It looks on the surface like a really cheap B movie. It's actually, mm -hmm. I think a really deep kind of artful retelling of this kind of dark chapter in American history. Very well done. Wasn't wasn't
2: there one that Matt Smith like I feel like Matt Smith not only not only did he play
1: like Maplethorpe,
2: didn't he didn't he play Charlie Manson in some movie he recently? Did.
1: I think it was a Catherine as well. Maybe it was a Catherine Hardwick film or Oh boy. It's Char, 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 <laughs> Char, Charlie Says. Charlie Says is the one. Oh, okay. And that's Got another it. one that I have dodged. And I need no, it's Mary Heron. Mm. I'm sorry, Mary Heron, American psycho director. Oh, okay. Okay. She did it. I love her. I really need to see this film because, uh, I
2: may have to check that out.
1: Matt Smith looks really good as this. Uh, when I think of him, I don't think Charlie Manson, but seeing stills from the picture from the film itself. Yeah. I sound like I'm in the, in the thirties, seeing stills from the picture. Uh, (laughs) it really, it really looks, it looks good. I mean, it looks like, it looks like something like right up my alley. So I definitely need to check it out.
2: Hey, maybe we can watch that and come back. Yeah. I can come back. Yeah, Yeah. Um, You know who else felt Manson-like as well? This is totally Um, off-topic. What was the Jeff Bridges movie? And uh, they were at the hotel, and he was the cult, and Hemsworth was, Chris Hemsworth was a cult leader, and he was very Manson-like. He had the long hair and the free love, and he's dancing around.
1: What is that film?
2: Uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. Yeah,
1: that was one of the last things I physically rented from Netflix and never watched. Oh well, I Jeff never got is around is to. It. In
2: it, is in it? That's why. That's <laughs> yeah. why I, I went to see it, and I love it. But like, it's actually not
1: bad. You should. You should see that. Too. Yeah, I've
2: heard people. Th- there's our episode. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There's our episode. Bad times at um at El Royale and Charlie says.
1: <laughs> I'm looking at these. Uh, I'm looking at other films inspired by the Manson murders, and one has mm-hmm. completely jumped out at me that I have to find. It's called uh, Honky Holocaust. Oh Jesus! Okay. So I got. I guess I. Uh, <laughs> it's picked up by Trauma. Surprise! Surprise! And surprise. Uh, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta check out Honky Holocaust. Uh, what a title!
2: <laughs> that sounds brilliant.
1: <laughs> but yeah, the, the Manson family is the one I always kind of. That's the Jim Van Bever one. That's the one I always kind of push on people because for me, that one had a lot of impact. I just like the way it was made. I like the way you approach it. There's also a really good documentary directed by the guy that does the, uh, the death tours in L.A. Uh, mm. I can't remember what his name is. It's the same name as the lead singer Poison. Brett Michael or Scott Michael or something like that. Anyway. Okay. Uh, he does those tours. Anyway, he's a lifelong Mansonologist. And he did okay. a whole film, I think, called Six Degrees of Charles Manson or something like that. In Ooh. very fascinating documentary. He goes into incredible detail on everything that happened up to, leading to. He takes you to all the locations. He takes you to the Death Valley location before they tore it down. He even takes you to the cabinet where they found Charlie hiding because he was an itty bitty guy. He was only like five foot three. And uh, he was. Wait,
2: hi- what? He looks. Every time they show him with the swastika, I think he's like six feet tall and like satanic. Yeah. yeah. Are you serious?
1: Yeah, no, no. He was itty bitty. Paula
2: Abdul sized? <laughs> yeah. Like Jesus.
1: Yeah, yeah. He was itty bitty. Um, but he hid inside By this like way, little he, urinal, like Arlie's like this little bathroom bidet type thing, not bidet, but like you know those little bathroom cabinets, like where the sink is. He hid in there. Yeah, and the yeah, only 100%. reason why, yeah, only reason why they found him is because his hair was hanging out of the drawer. He forgot Jesus to tuck Christ. his hair in.
2: <laughs> he's like, oh my god, he's like the what do you call it? The uh, oh my god, I'm thinking of the actor from Different Strokes and that movie where he was living in the locker rooms. In the uh, in the lockers in the train station oh Gary Coleman oh he's yeah like, yeah
1: I remember that film
2: oh yeah <laughs> he's like a Gary Coleman what's the name <laughs> of that movie anyway um by the way just so the listeners know I you can actually rent the Manson family on prime sweet um yeah, it looks like you can actually buy it on HD for like 7 bucks, or rent it for like less than a dollar.
1: Yeah, there you go. Uh, good. So it's
2: on there. Good. Yeah, there you
1: go. That's good. <laughs> that that kind of stuff needs to be out there because, again, I remember I mean, Van Bever may have put it out himself because he's very much a do-it-yourself kind of guy. He doesn't direct a lot of stuff anymore, doesn't make a lot of films, but he, yeah. he kind of does his own thing. I am completely fascinated and have to know it's uh, On the Right Track is the name of that uh Gary
2: yes i just found it i just found it too it's called on the right track dude i saw that in the movie theaters it was like my favorite movie like, I for the next two years
1: i know i loved it as well i couldn't get enough of it uh i just i i wonder how it plays now i really do yeah i know i know
2: and here we've drawn the illusion of charlie manson to not only paula abdul but gary coleman where else can you get that, folks? I'm telling you. And
1: Jim Van Beber. It, it does sound like a yes. very dark, twisted sense of Hollywood right there, yes. And somehow Maureen <laughs> yes. stapled it in there as well. So there you go. Yeah. Um right. all right. Uh let's get into Make or Breaks MVTs and scores. What do you got? Do you got anything uh, for Okay, me? Well, how how am I scoring this? Uh, out of ten. Out of
2: ten? Yeah. Okay.
1: With uh oh, with point two five intervals we go with.
2: So, so I'm trying, I'm trying to be polite to respect the Leonetti name, uh-huh, uh-huh. but I, I think I have to give it like a four, honestly, okay. out of 10. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, a, a MVT, um, is that like our most, the, like the, either the, a scene
1: or an actor? Yeah. The thing you like the most about the film, um, or the thing you think's the most valuable thing about the movie. If there is anything. There's always something, though, even in a bad film. If you think about it,
2: yeah, I, you know, I did. I I will say I did jump in that one scene where the where Wojcik like comes out of the shower, and she's stuck in the bathroom. I think that was like probably the height of like the terror and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, probably that and and you say I would say I did like Miss Henstridge. Um, I okay, was yeah. fully prepared to have my. Socks, uh, knocked off by Katie Cassidy, but I was surprised that Hentridge, Hentridge was the emotional center and, and actually stronger. I was a little surprised by that stronger than Cassidy. Hmm.
1: Interesting. Yeah. What about, uh, favorite scene, make or break scene? Was it a break or a make?
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> don't you love coming you know, on honestly, other people's shows and doing these kinds of things?
2: I know. <laughs> um, I mean, the sledgehammer scene with that poor guy, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that kind of freak, that kind of freaked me out. But also, I, I couldn't help but keep thinking about that ending where she's like, please don't do this to me because I'm already dead. Yeah. Um. So I think I, I think that scene, which has no emotional payoff because they didn't build it up, um, is probably the one that sticks out in my head more. And I can't tell if it makes or breaks the movie. <laughs>
1: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I got you. I got you. That's that's pretty much, in a way, sometimes the definition of a make or break. It's like, you know, I, I think you should see the scene, but maybe you shouldn't have to do all the work to get there. Um, I'm a little bit higher than you. I'll go 5.5 out of 10. Just a little bit above average. Again, I think a lot of it has to do with just my kind of familiarity with the story and whatnot. Kind of saying that. Leonetti does a good job here, but I don't think a great job, and I don't think it's very well written. But I do think the set direction is – or the set uh, – yeah, I guess set direction, set production is really good. So – Oddly, I'm going to give it to the art director here, uh, Douglas Cumming, uh, who's done stuff like the Kite Runner, the Maze Runner, I Am Number Four. Um, I think uh, the Fantastic Four with uh, was it, was it with uh, Michael B. Jordan in it. He did that one. Ooh, oh yeah. <laughs> so all right, I love that one. He's done some stuff, <laughs> uh, and he's working quite a bit. Did Deepwater Horizon? Did Annabelle? Obviously. So nice. you know he's working. And um, I, I'm gonna give it to him. And my make or break, I'll go with that. I think that opening is the best. I think the movie never, sadly, really gets better than the first ten minutes of the movie. Um, I do that like something. Yeah, I know <laughs> you you like the the very end. I like the very beginning. It's, it's it should say a lot about the movie, but I don't. I don't know how else to explain it except that I think it's a really good example of dread and suspense without using any real violence um, because there's no yeah. real violence in that opening, but you feel this fear that these people have. And if you've ever gotten up in the middle of the night and walked around your home thinking something's awry, it is a very freaky experience, right? <laughs> All of a sudden your it own totally home, is your own home becomes this alien place that you don't understand anymore. It's a very strange fear. Yeah. And it's why I think so many people who end up being, Uh, home invaded or uh end up getting broken into so many people end up moving out of their homes because they just they did they just never feel at home anymore after that it just it takes it it takes away that that, yeah it just takes away that safety right so i find that kind of fascinating so i'll go with that but i do like that i I don't know what it means but i do like that line she says at the end i mean i think i know what it means but i just i don't know i just (laughs) i don't know i just i found it a bizarre choice That that's what i'll say (laughs) it was a weird choice. I just
2: wish that Leonetti just didn't play by numbers and, and gave us something substantial to pay that off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's our thoughts on that. You can watch it on max right now. I'm sure it'll pop back up on something. Um, Again, not a lot of uh, legs. This film didn't have a lot of legs and uh, well, outside of Katie Cassidy's legs, but it didn't have a lot of legs and uh, kind of has kind of been, well, kinda of, I I I'd imagine kind of disappeared into the ether. For some that'll probably be uh for the best. For some maybe not. I can see people really champ some people really championing this, but anyway. Thank you, Jose, for coming on and uh covering this film with me. I much appreciate it. What's uh, you kinda of said in the beginning what's kinda of going on in Watch Skip Plus, but if you want to kind of remind everybody, you can go ahead.
2: Yeah. Uh well we we uh released our Barbie episode, which was uh uh Pretty awesome. I uh, yeah. I called it a I called it a perfect movie. Oh oh, you, you did. I call it a perfect movie. What? Um, and then we are going to be releasing later this week on Thursday. Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan's newest film. Uh, I know a lot of people are like, it's the best Nolan and the best film of twenty twenty three. Um, while I wasn't ex, I didn't have high expectations for it or much enthusiasm for it. Um, I had a really horrible nickname for the film, which I revealed on the episode, which <laughs> I'll leave for the episode. Um, but I ended up really, really quite liking the the filmmaking artistry of it, even if I thought that Nolan took a big swing in terms of how to present the story and its narrative. And um, I think he missed on some parts. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But that's what we got coming up. And what I'm a little concerned about is that the strikes are going to we red and I always have this kind of thing where we're like, okay, it's either gonna be this movie or this movie that we review, but it seems like in the next coming months we may not have that many movies to review right so uh I don't know, I'm a little concerned about that but you might we'll be. See how uh, that
1: develops. you might be guys might be digging into the watch skip plus video bins direct to video releases uh,
2: or this or the streaming yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, which
1: I know you guys have done a little bit, I think you guys have done one or two of those, haven't you? One of those home we have, rentals. We yeah. had
2: we had Brad on for uh Netflix's oh. All Quiet on the Western Front, which ended up being like quite an awards winner. So yeah, that yeah. was kind of cool.
1: Yeah, I know you guys have done yeah. it before. And you know, like we all know this. Movies come in all shapes and all sizes. And uh sometimes those straight to video releases can be pretty cool. I mean, you just saw a Maggie Q one not too long ago, right? The Neil De one. So yep. sometimes they can be pretty Fear cool. No. Yeah. I mean yeah. there's a lot of interesting stuff still done. Uh, You know, I'm a big documentary filmmaker, uh, film fan, so a lot of that stuff gets released pretty quickly to video. So I never really complain much because most of that stuff's available pretty quickly. (laughs) But it is true. Um, uh, Everything's available so quickly now, it's ridiculous. uh, I thought Mission Impossible uh, was not going to be available for some time. It looks like it's going to be kind of bumped up. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I feel so
2: bad for it. It, It's second week, it was a 63% drop.
1: That's pretty surprising. Yeah yeah it is movie. pretty surprising
2: um but uh i think you might enjoy shark exploitation i think that's the name of the documentary yeah one of our friends has,
1: yeah one of our friends is the producer on that film
2: one yes mr scar Yeah, Stephen yeah steven is that his name yeah Sc- yes yeah, okay a-
1: aka the back of forrest whitaker's neck that's his online handle
2: <laughs> i love that sold um but uh yeah i think uh I think you'll like that documentary. Um, it's uh, on shutters, I think. Shutter. Yeah, I got resi- to resubscribe. A my, shutter.
1: my yearly, <laughs> my yearlies ran out all at the same time. And because of the okay. situation I'm in, I got to be a little strategic on how I resubscribe.
2: <laughs> well, do you have AMC Plus? Because I think no. it's
1: included in AMC Plus. I don't think I have that. Maybe no. not. No, I don't have okay. that. Got right now, I'm that. out on my Paramount Plus, I'm out on my Shutter, and I'm out on my Criterion. Got to get those Ooh. three back. Yeah, got to get that criterion back at least. <laughs> well, I got to get them all. well, yeah. Sometimes I don't know about Paramount Plus, but then every time I think I don't want Paramount Plus, something hits Paramount something Plus. Yeah, I know something hits there, yeah. and they put stuff out on there on 4K, folks. Like I watched Flash Dance yeah. in 4K on Paramount Plus. It's hard not to want to go back. Oh, <laughs> so good. So. So good. (laughs) I'm just not buying as much physical media right now either. So the streaming services are kind of where I'm spending my money right now. So yeah, that's just the way it is. Um, All right. uh, Everybody check out Watch Skip Plus. You can check them out on the podcast world. Uh, Not a bomb. Not a living podcast. Mary with Clickers. Raiders of the Lost podcast. You heard Jose talk about Kevin. He's a longtime friend of our show as well. We've never had him on. Maybe we should rectify that at some point. We probably will. Uh, Jesus, there's so many podcasts. Love that album. See here podcast. Eh, Just, you know, go out there.
2: All of them. Listen
1: to all of them. They're fantastic. (laughs) As many of them as you can. And support them and listen to them. And there's always movies to talk about. There always will be. Uh, I think that's everything. So, Jose, once again, I want to say thank you very much for coming on and help me out. And I will say adios. Adios.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com